boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge boys, you're listening to them. Hi, everybody. Hoot hoot to anyone from Owl Nation out there. I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me across my desk via Zoom, Lon Harris. It was a very Mad Men, like Don Draper pitch opening this week. Like, if we, I feel like if we went to Sterling Cooper and we were like, we got a podcast, it's called Binge Boys. He would like lean back in a chair and take a slug of whiskey, light a cigarette, and be like, "Binge boys, you're listening to." It. Yes, like that's or it. that would. Be- I mean, it's there's a hint of Fraser Crane to there. Binge boys, I'm listening. We're listening. Hello, Seattle. Hello. Yes, <laughs> this podcast is for people outside Seattle. I don't want to confuse you folks right off the top. It is okay to listen to binge boys, even if you are not in the city of Seattle. Yeah, like if you're in the Chaz, that's great. If you are, what is the Chaz? The Chaz was the the no police zone in Seattle that they had. Oh, in, I thought that was like the nickname for another American city, and I real quick tried to you know like the Cleave or something, and I was like, wait, wait, the, the, the Ch- Ch- Chattanooga is that the, the Chaz? Charlotte is the Chaz? I don't no, know. oh, so, so how quickly we forget? It was like you remember a Hamsterdam on the wire. Yes, right. No, I'm, I'm. Now that you say it, right? The like, yes, the the zone, the protest zone. I, I remember. Yes, that. yes, yes. Lon, I, I always like to ask you this because you've got your finger on the pulse of all things streaming. Is there is there any news that has popped up in the last few days that we should be aware of in the world, the wonderful world of streaming? Well, today's big news in the wonderful world of streaming is that all of the services took down the president's most recent address. Pretty unprecedented. That was what was dominating the news feeds like Twitter, YouTube, Facebook all have pulled Don Trump's speech that he gave while people were ripping the U.S. Capitol apart, saying he loved them and calling them terrific. Oh, yeah. You're special. We love you. Very special people. Yeah, as they are raiding the Capitol. Uh, yeah, they're stealing podiums and, and taking pictures of Nancy Pelosi's computer. He's very proud of them. So anyway, that dominated the news today. Yesterday, Roku growing massively. That, that's that been a big, big deal. Clancy Brown is going to be the villain on the next season of Dexter. This was announced the other day, which I thought was a cool announcement. You know Clancy Brown, of course, he was the the evil guard from the Shawshank Redemption. He's the he's the drill instructor from Starship Troopers. One of the stars of the uh, classic HBO series Carnival, if you'll recall. Uh, very large, looming presence. He's going to be the villain, the main villain on the revival season of Dexter, which Michael C. Hall assures us makes up for the disappointing finale season that even even Dexter himself now has admitted was a little bit disappointing. Okay, okay. Now, has the Seinfeld cast admitted how disappointing the last episode of Seinfeld was? No, in fact, they're all still sort of, I feel like Larry David really sticking to his guns on that. I I have to say, in fairness, I think the last scene of the Seinfeld finale is brilliant. I I agree, Mm -hmm. the like trial where they bring back all of the, the characters, I don't like that. One thing Seinfeld did a really good job of never being was like nostalgic for itself, 
and like elbow you in the ribs referential. And that stuff feels like it finally breaks that contract and I don't like it. But I do think that final scene where they're in jail and they start having the the like same dumb button conversation that they had in season one. That's a really clever. That's a really clever way to wrap it up. Like they're never going to change. They're stuck in this loop forever of just like obsessing about minutia and not missing the big picture of life. And like, I thought that was really smart. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I don't even need a Seinfeld reunion because that curb your enthusiasm season where they were planning it was, oh, just a delight. Just you can't a delight. see, but I'm doing the, it, the chef's kiss hand chef's motion. Chef's kiss. Yes. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Just, just among many great episodes and seasons of curb. And the one other thing I will bring up that I thought was a fun, a fun tidbit to let you know about where the state of streaming was at this week. I don't know if you've seen that Peacock, if you go to Peacock, and you look at the different pricing tiers, they are now explaining to you the different subscription packages exclusively via how much of the office you get to see. So if you get free Peacock, this is on Peacock.com. Go, I urge you to go check it out. So if you go to like the free tier, they're like, you go watch the first two seasons of The Office with ads. And then the next tier, they're like, you can watch all of The Office, but it's going to have ads and you'll get some bonus content. And then the premium tier, they're like, you get to see everything from The Office and also everything else that's on Peacock, but The Office. And it's like, people are like, are, are we really this obsessed still with The Office? It's hard to believe. I think so. I mean, it, it's people's comfort food. I mean, the way we're talking about Seinfeld. I'm not knocking The Office. I really like The Office and I get it. And I get it from that comfort food level, like, Parks and Rec, which is Michael Schur, it's another sort of this, a similar show. And I feel like it has that same vibe. Like you could just throw it on. It's like old friends hanging out. Yeah, and it I'm is, that way with 30 Rock. Right. And a, a lot of those shows are that way for people. And I, and I get that. And I know that it's like the most popular show of 2020 on Netflix. Like people love The Office. It's just the the like obsessive watch it over and over again beyond any other show. Like there's a world of those kinds of shows out there. Like no, no cheers, love. Like nobody fondly remembers. Uh, yeah, but che- I mean, cheers is from the Gilmore 80s and 90s, girls, my dude. You know. What'd you say, girls? Gilmore girls. Gilmore girls. Oh, Gilmore girls. I mean, look, girl or girls. If you're a certain generation New Yorker, maybe girls is your comfort food. Oh, I absolutely. Know. I think girls uh, spoke to you know a generation and like captured like a moment. Yeah. Your big early Adam Driver stan, you know. Oh yeah. Um, where you say like, oh, who's who's this? Who's this yeah. giant weird hunk? I, I definitely, that was me during season, because I did, I watched Girls when it was on HBO. And season one of Girls, season one of Girls, I absolutely had that moment of like, this weird gangly dude is amazing. Like, who's this guy? Where's this guy been? I definitely had that, that Adam Driver read right away. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we're also in a moment with, you know, the pandemic and, you know, just the so much shitty news in the world. Something like The Office which is an old, reliable friend and comfort food is that much more precious to people. So, yeah. Got, I got a Peacock recommendation for you, folks. If you're on Peacock, you're a little tired of the office. Columbo, baby. Been, I've been, I love, I love going back and watching old Columbo's on Peacock. That's my I favorite. I saw Peter Falk in, we were, we were talking about this before we uh, started recording, in, during the New Year's Day Twilight Zone marathon. Sure. He played a Fidel Castro style dictator in this one episode. And it was, uh, it was some decent Peter Falk, but unfortunately it was Peter Falk in brown face. Yeah. They used to do that 
all the time. And, and it was just like, you know, it was like acting then. Like they didn't think there was anything offensive about it. It's so brazen. Like now to watch it, it's like. Oh yeah, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Oh, John, cowboy John Wayne playing an Asian person. Charlton Heston is a Mexican and Touch of Evil is very unfortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, Mickey Rooney rules them all yeah. as breakfast the most awful problematic breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. Oh, I don't know if it's most problematic. <laughs> Mr. Moto is not great. I mean, yeah. It, Peter Lorre used to play a Japanese detective in the Mr. Moto franchise. And the shame of that one is that they're great mystery movies. Like, they're just cool 30s mysteries. Oh. If you could only remove the fact that it is a white European man playing, like, a ludicrous Japanese stereotype. Oh, on the exact same or very similar page, the Charlie titular Chan. Charlie Chan. Right. That's the other great example. By a, a white guy. So, yeah. Fu Manchu as well. Who, who could like, forget like could Christopher just, Lee? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you cut to the 80s. You have that movie Soul Man. <laughs> well, it's Short Circuit. Who could forget Fisher Stevens in Short Circuit? Who I did not, as a child, I did not realize was not an, an Indian man. Like, I, I, I was an adult when I realized Fisher Stevens was just a white guy giving a really cringy, embarrassing performance because I didn't know him. Oh, many yeah. It, it got nicely called out on Master of None. There was yes, a good yes. episode yeah, right. where they explored that. Anyway, that, that, we don't have well, to keep I talking. mean, bottom, <laughs> hey, uh, newsflash, shit can be problematic. Yeah, don't, don't put on makeup and try to play a different race than you are. It's bad. So it just, it's always Sound bad. advice. Don't just the more you know, it. one to grow on, et cetera. Lon, we watched some stuff for this week, and let's start off with a little bit of old-time religion. Alabama Snake on uh, HBO, HBO Max. It's a, a documentary, a little bit of true crime. A little bit. A little bit of true crime. Yeah, just a little. Just a taste. Yes, about a woman who accused her husband, went to court for attempted murder by snakebite. Yeah, she, the, the, he, the, 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 the accused was a Pentecostal minister who, who did snake handling in his church. And the accusation is that he forced his wife, now his ex-wife, obviously, into the room, into the house, the pen where they kept their snakes. Their snake hutch. And he forced her at gunpoint to repeatedly stick her hand into a snake cage where she was bitten by a, a, a venomous rattlesnake. And but but survived. But fortunately for everybody, survived the attack. I don't I, I don't I don't know what you thought about this one, Hal. I, I this sounded very intriguing to me when I read the premise, but it, it, it feels like there's maybe seven minutes of story. Like what I just said is the story. Like that's all that's what happened. Like this this snake handling preacher and he tried to kill his wife with a snake, but not like using a snake, like he forced her to put her hand in the snake. They, they just, I don't know if this needed to be a movie. Like, I, I wish I got what Theo Love, the director, what what he got out of it that made him feel like, I got to make this into a movie. I, I hear you on that. It's a small story. Like, there aren't a lot of details to the story. But then as you start to piece it together, there are a few different points of view. Like, oh, did she make it up like they cast some doubt yes. on whether on, on, or not right. on, on the and some of the details and, and it, 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 it sort of tries its best like it also kind of like here's a little bit of what snake handlers believe and here's why they handle snakes in in church and and it's sort of trying but the guy who made this theo love he he also made a movie called the legend of cocaine island 
which was about a guy who was in a bar getting drunk with another guy one night. And that guy told him about a briefcase full of stolen money that he had buried on this Caribbean island. And it should still be there if, you know, nobody's moved it. And so the dude who heard the story, like, funded an expedition to go, like, try to find this hidden money. And that also was kind of like a quirky real life story about some eccentric characters, but it was just like, there was just a lot more going on. It was just like a bigger world and more like wacky people to talk to. And this one was just kind of sad. It was just about a few people. Absolutely depressing. It didn't, it didn't have that same quirky, weird, crazy, so crazy. Like there are a lot of people in Alabama snake who he's talking to who are like, man, this is story so crazy. You know, it's gotta be true, but it's really not that crazy. Like, I think we can all envision like abusive relationships and domestic violence. And so this guy didn't have a ton of guns around. He had a bunch of deadly snakes, but it's not that crazy. Yeah, with the depressing aspects, it reminded me of like one of the uh, first movies we watched for this podcast, Devil All the Time. It had like just those depressing vibes. Right. It's, su- yeah, that, that Southern Gothic genre, but that's hard to yeah, do. Like, yeah, a depressed area that is where, where people are like all they have is misery and religion. And, you know, you know, hey, God bless you, whatever gets you through the dark and lonely night. But like, yeah, the snake handling is just particularly frightening. Yeah, there's, there's also the weirdest thing about this movie, maybe, is that almost all the research and investigation and stuff like the, the feel of it made the movie didn't ever even talk to the, the snake handler guy. He's talking to this like local folklorist historian who's the guy who did all the legwork on this. And it's like, that guy's like an academic, but he's like, oh yeah, you know, I study the folklore of Southern Appalachia. Like this, this story happened in the nineties. Like, is this folklore? Like, I feel like a folklorist should be focusing on shit from like the 1700s. Like people have been living in Southern Appalachia for so long. Like, why are you zeroing in on this like drunk guy in like 89 who tried to kill his wife? Like it's just, yeah, that's not what folklorists study. Well, I mean, the, the 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 stories of Appalachia, I mean, you got the Hatfields and McCoys, and then you got everything. That's it? <laughs> then yeah, this. I guess that's it. <laughs> Winter's Bone, Hatfields and McCoys, and then this guy. But there is something just weird about this. The fact that it takes place in the late 80s, early 90s, it does feel like such a, a bygone era. Like I said, it reminded me of that film, Devil All the Time, which that takes place in the, what? The, the 60s, I think. I mean, it was like the, the, it was like the, the 50s and 60s or something, because it, it jumps a few years, right? I don't but, remember. I don't um, remember. Like you're in a kind of a time warp. When you're dealing with people whose religion requires snake handling, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I agree that there's, there's a bit of folklore to be unpacked because it's, it's just a weird... Uh, a weird time war. Well, that would have been more interesting to me, like looking into the origins of the snake handling community in the American South, I think would maybe be a more fruitful subject, but it's not really about that. You get a few little scenes where it's like, here's the Bible quote that inspired them to do this, but it's really not about that. It's really about this guy and like whether we believe that he really did this to his wife. I just like, I don't know, to me making the leap of like some drunk asshole taking his wife out to the reptile shed 
I, I can envision that happening. Like, I don't, to me, that's not such a leap that I'm like, I want to see an entire yeah, especially like this guy's got such a history. Like he was a, like he was a bare, a bare knuckle fighter, yeah, um, like, a hard drinker. He had two separate stories about punching someone so much and so hard where he knocked their eyeball out of their head. It just for the dark portrayals it might like if you're if you're into like kind of oh sadness porn sort of then this uh, documentary might be for you because his son we 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 talked to him and he's kind of sad and then the they talk to the woman who was bitten modern day we we get to see her and who that is a a haggard woman who's lived a hard life like that's what i mean like uh, they're they're colorful characters but not in like a not in like a compelling like oh i gotta hear this person's story like in a bleak grim way like in in tiger king you have colorful characters who are also kind of sad but are also like oh they like yeah but a lot of them are not sad a lot of them are just just weird and it's compelling exactly the this it's like yeah it, you get a little bit bludgeoned with the sadness but it is if if you've never seen pentecostal snake handling which lon why do they why do they do that why do they handle those snakes? there is there is a it's a specific bible verse that they talk about in this in this movie where they're saying it's like about proving your devotion proving your faith in god that you would be willing to do all of these things to is a show of faith and it's like and one of the things that they list is they will handle serpents or something with serpents. And so they read that as, oh, this is, it, it, it's the same part that talks about speaking in tongues. See, I could never go that far with my devotion. Like the furthest I'd go, I, I'd. Well, that's not, it's not a youth. I mean, we do speak in tongues, but it's but like, like. If I was devoted to anything and I wanted to show my devotion, like the furthest I'd go, I'd drink milk a few days after the expiration date. It's a show of your faith in the FDA? And just like my love to someone. How much do you love me? How much will you put it on the line? Or like if I had to prove it to anything, like that's as far as I could go. Like I don't want to risk anything. Honestly, we- I don't like to risk. We're just, we're like, we'll take your, we take your word on it. That's, that's fine. It's fine. You love, you like God? You're good with it? Okay, great. Come on. Let's go. Let's, have, let's eat. You know, it's like, it's not, it's, there's, there isn't this thing. There isn't this I couldn't expose myself your, to the snake. Prove your faith by touching this deadly animal. We're like, we're good. We're good. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to say I'm not cut out to be a snake handler, Lon. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, like when my grandparents used to come over when I was a kid, I would have to like hold the dog so he wouldn't go over and greet them. Like that's where the Jews are at. We're like, don't even, <laughs> not even the puppies, not let alone snakes. Yeah, that's how much we'll, we'll put it on the line. So, Lon, Alabama snake. You can see it on HBO, HBO Max. Here we go in the King James Bible, Mark sixteen eighteen. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. So you'll remember there's the scenes in the movie where they're they're drinking, I don't know, some kind of strychnine or something, and then they're and then they're picking up snakes, and it's like, see, God's protecting me. He's I'm not dying. And I'm going to start talking gibberish now because he's the Lord is is speaking through me. I hope no Pentecostals or Baptists are listening to this. I'm sure this is offensive to them. Believe whatever you want. I don't mind. If you want to touch a snake, touch a snake. Don't force anybody else's hand in there, but I'm cool with you doing what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if hey, if, if that's your thing and you're not hurting anyone else, we're not here to snake shame, right? I would not dare. Don't uh, snake shame. That sounds like it could be a, also a good country music song. I'm drinking a jar of strychnine and I'm handling my old snakes. Oh, no, never, 
No innuendo in our country music. They don't like that. All right. <laughs> Alabama Snake, HBO, HBO Max. Yeah, check it out if you want to immerse yourself in sadness. It seems like it would be fun, and it's not. It's sad. Yeah, it is pretty sad. Coming up, we're going to talk about an Amazon film, I'm Your Woman. So we both watched I'm Your Woman, fairly new to Amazon. And this uh, is uh, Julia Hart's new film. She did Fast Color a few years ago, which I don't know if you saw, but was really terrific. no, I haven't seen similar. It's like a, it's a woman. Gugu Mbatha Raw stars in that one. But it's another. She's on the run from like a shadowy sort of half understood group. And she ends up sort of hiding out with the, you know, the with her with her mom, who she's been estranged from from a really long time. And so it becomes this like family drama but within this larger, like, genre, woman-on-the-run sort of story. And that, like, similarly to how this one begins with, like, this crime story where Rachel Brosnahan is on the run, and then the details kind of get filled in over the course of her journey as she gets to know these new characters and this new sort of way of life. So the uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel's Rachel Brosnahan is the lead in this film, and we spend, she's, yeah, just about in every... She, she produced it as well. She sort of made this happen. Yeah, and uh, I kind of had a love hate relationship with this with this film. I, I I thought it was over long, and you know, I honestly, the, you they keep you in the dark intentionally for most of the film, and I felt like we did not get enough for the length of the film, and I would be a hard pass on this if it weren't for just like the last half hour where it's kind of like an exposition and an action dump. Oh, I totally disagree. The point is not the, 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 the crime story. That's like, we've seen that. I, I, I think to me, I think what, what stands out about this is we've seen the main story here a million times. It's it, sure. Her husband screwed over his partners or his boss. Yeah. A, a gangster story gone stole sideways. Stole a bunch of money. Yeah disappeared everybody was after him and then eventually you know you find out if they caught up with him or not but whereas usually you just see that movie from the criminal's perspective in this case we see that story play out from a perspective i don't think i've personally ever seen before which is the the wife that he leaves behind who he gets a friend to like go protect her and like then she's on the run and we're following it all from her and it makes sense that she wouldn't know what all the details were all the people involved because he kept her isolated from that part of his life and and so I thought it, it's it's not about that like you got to get over that I think to make this work at all here's the thing this I, woman's I, journey it's not about the crime stuff I like that it's from her perspective but I just felt not enough happened. It w this is a long movie. This is but a two-hour. It's because it's, it's about it's. It, I, I mean, I, you're right that, that plot-wise, not a lot happens. She gets picked up from the house by people who know her husband. They go on the run. She's on the run for a while. There are a few action beats, and I, I think they're handled really well. Like it's it, when it when it is an action movie, it's a cool action movie. But the, there's there's not a lot of that. It's really mostly her getting to know these people who are helping her get away and 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 this other side of life she's been she's known that her husband was a criminal but she's been so sheltered from the criminal life she's really only known the civilian regular married woman housewife life and we're seeing this whole world that we're familiar with from other movies through her fresh eyes and i think that's what the movie is about more so than 
oh, I got to find out who fucked over who and who's after who and where right, the money right. no, is. And I, and, I, and I like that it's from this perspective. I'm just saying, like, not enough happens. We don't get enough information along the way. And I didn't feel compelled by it. Listen, and that's not to say there aren't a few good moments along the way. Like, I, I really loved the expression of kind of the politics of the era where she gets pulled over and the the guy kind of looking after her and shepherding her to safety is uh, he's a black man and this cop is like about to treat him the way a lot of police treat people of color and there's a it's a really strong scene i thought the way rachel brosnahan's character handled that and and there are a few moments along the way but overall i just and there are I just didn't think there was enough. Also, I felt there were a couple of false moments. So let me, here's one pet peeve uh, I'll lay on you on. The, the, the scene where she, she's not a good cook and she starts making eggs and she messes up these eggs and then she throws one egg after another against the wall in the kitchen. I'm just like, who, okay, who throws like seven eggs one after another you against never, the wall? Like- smash something that you own out of frustration. But it, it, you know or, what? I, I don't know. Maybe it's... I don't think that moment played false to I me. don't know. Maybe maybe it's just my OCD pet peeve here. But like when someone makes too much of a mess in, the, in a movie and I don't feel like it's motivated, I'm like, you know you're going to have to clean that up. Okay, you just smashed all those eggs. Now you have to go clean up all those eggs. But it's also, it's, she's staying in a place that, it's not her home. She's been stashed somewhere at this point. So you wouldn't necessarily feel that way about your same, like, she might have to clean it up, but it's not like it's her place that she feels strongly and personally about. Like, yeah, you maybe make a mess out of frustration. I don't know. I didn't think that played fall. Anyway, I think, like, I think like, to me, like, what stands out about this is it's a drama. It's not really a, it's kind of a hybrid crime story drama, but I think the heart of it is really the drama. And I, I thought it worked really well. I really enjoyed the performances. I thought Brosnan's terrific. Like, like you really follow her. She's on a, she's on a fucking journey. Like, this is an A to B. Like, there's a lot. It seems like a subtle kind of character at first, but by the third act, she's really made like a transformation. And I thought she handles it with a lot of subtlety. And it's just, it's a, it's like the kind of movie I guess I would call like lived in. Like it feels like, it doesn't feel like this was all, all of these scenarios and all of these people and all of these scenes and all of these locations that we're going to, they don't feel like they only exist within the parameters of this movie. It feels like it's happening in this like lived in larger thought out world and not just the the era although i think the 70s is evoked there's one scene where rachel brosnahan's walking through a bunch of different streets in like the 70s i don't remember what city it's supposed to be and it's like vividly like for a movie that's been so interior and kind of low budget and indie for most of the time all of a sudden you're seeing these really amazing recreations of full city streets from the 70s and it's really visually impressive and cool and uh, I don't know. I, it all just—it all really clicked for me. Like I was super compelled by this. I'm, I'm sort of surprised that you didn't like it. I'd be very curious what you think about Fast Color, which is sort of the same, where there's like this big superhero fantasy action movie happening outside of the margins of the movie, but we are just seeing it from one character who's like trying to escape from all that and like go hide out, and they're just after her, and she can't ever fully get away. And like it's kind of the same idea. And I guess maybe you've just find that frustrating as an angle you know what maybe it was maybe it was just the heads maybe it was just the headspace i was in i just wanted a, a little bit more info I a mean, little look, bit more. you're allowed to hate good things i mean that's totally uh that's your that's your right as an american 
Yes, and it, you know, and that is your subjective opinion that this is a good th- thing. I, I feel like it could have given uh, how us. How dare you? Uh, how dare you? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I just felt like it was a little too slow a burn. Not enough bang for the buck. The buck being my my investment of time. And this is free if you have Amazon Prime. So yeah, not true. Even a so, no, it was. But no, but I. But my my time is not free, Lon. My time is money. So oh, definitely. Yeah. I, again, the. The payoff at the end almost makes it worth it, but just know you're, it's, it's a little... And I'm not saying I dislike the performance. I like the perspective. I just felt like, all right, tell us more already. That's what I was saying. It's a, it's a character study. If you're not coming in for that, if you're coming in looking for, you know, good fellas, like, yes, you, you, might, be, you might be let down by this. It is, it is a deliberately placed character study that is, is really about some of these main performances. I was waiting for a guy to get whacked. <laughs> It's not a lot. No, not. A, I mean, there are a few. A few guys get whacked, but not maybe. There's as many. a couple of whackings. A few whackings. So this is "I'm Your Woman" on Amazon, Amazon Prime, and yeah, a slow burn. Not Amazon, just Amazon Prime only. Can I get this movie delivered by Amazon? Yeah, don't go looking for this next to laundry hampers and coffee machines. It's only in the Prime part. Noted. <laughs> I, I I will not try to order it. Yeah, get your sixty-four pack of two-ply toilet paper. Plus, I'm your woman. Yes. So you can check this out. No, we're a little bit mixed on it. I give it a moderate recommendation. Uh, I think we're extremely mixed on this. Lon is head over heels for I'm your woman. I'm an, an early contender for Lon's best of the year. I wouldn't say that, but it's a good movie. I enjoy it. I mean, I know. I mean, I feel like I know what my few top movies are. There's a few I have left to see. I haven't seen Nomadland. So, there, you know, there's a few big ones, but I, I feel like my top three or four. Oh yeah, no. I I still need to see, I still need to see a promising, uh, yeah, promising, promising young, young woman. woman. I really want to see. Yes, for sure. Moving on, we're going to talk about Spree on <laughs> Hulu. Lon Spree on Hulu is uh, a pretty crazy movie, kind of a product of our times. I we yeah. had already texted. Here's what we're going to talk about on Binge Boys, and as we were having that text conversation, I was starting this movie uh, on Hulu. <laughs> And then within, I would say, 10 minutes of watching this movie, I texted you back and I was like, forget everything I just said. Spree. Let's do Spree. I knew right away this was going to be something worth talking about. Well, So this movie's been available on Hulu for a little while, but right? It, right. It's just, well, not, I mean, I think of, not, not forever. I'll, I'll look it up. And funny enough, the executive producers, two of the executive producers on this movie are Drake and uh-huh. Future, sure. So it's it's got uh, that tie. Well, it hit yeah. VOD in August. I don't know when it hit Hulu. It might have come to Hulu more recent. This movie stars Joe Keery of Stranger Things, Steve from Stranger Things, the babysitter with the mostest, and Sasha Zam- Sashir Zamata, sorry, Saturday Night Live alum, and Kyle Mooney. David Arquette gets in there. Misha Misha Barton, who I didn't even recognize Misha, at first. Yeah, Misha Barton is. Back and the guy Misha Barton gets in the cab with a like a very uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe it but anyway Frankie Grande plays that guy who gets into the cab the very flamboyant gentleman who gets into the cab with her that's Ariana Grande's brother oh wow you learned something today you know an, another Grande kid done good yeah, the Grandes he's a choreographer and like a TV personality he used to be on a show I produced called What's Trending. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's got kind of like that influencer vibe. Oh, he very much so, yes. Yeah. So 
Yeah, this movie, I guess it's about the pitfalls of clout chasing. Sort of like what we were talking a few few shows ago, we were talking about the Takashi 6ix9ine documentary. I made this connection, oh, right away. I was like, you know, this would be a great, it's too bad we didn't do this on the Takashi 6ix9ine episode. They're similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, when getting clicks and views, and Lon, you and I are in the click and view business, but this is like doing anything and everything to to court any kind of online recognition. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of movies in the last few years that have taken this kind of a tack or taken a satirical look at this situation, which is we're all on social media all the time. We're all obsessed with it. And so we're all trying to make ourselves brands and celebrities and everything we do is sort of with a mind to having an audience and to broadcasting. And we're losing sight of like, who we really are as people because we're all trying to turn ourselves into what we see on television. There's a very good documentary on Hulu called Jawline. Yes. It's it's about a 15-year-old who dreams of being an influencer. And I feel like that would be a really good double feature with this as well. Yeah, Jawline's absolutely worth watching. It it shows just like, you know, kind of the dark, vapid world of like getting sucked into this social media stardom. Right. And and Spree is taking more of like a B-movie cult horror take on the same thing. I don't necessarily think it has like a lot of really new insights or like I think it's saying the same kinds of things a lot of these other movies and shows are saying about social media. I think what makes it stand out is it's just really well executed. Like it's just a really well made culty B movie horror film. And and it it handles the subtext well, but I I, really it doesn't add up to that much, I don't think. Yeah, I, I I went in like not knowing what exactly it was. No, was I just happen. literally because I texted you like, "Dow watch free." I want to talk yes. about it. And when when you get to the heart of the matter, what Joe Keery is is doing and trying to execute, mm-hmm. pun intended. Ah? In his, when he goes on his spree as an Uber driver for a company called Spree, it's like an Uber Lyft type company. It's a weird name. I will say Spree works really well as a title for this film because of what it's about, but it wouldn't, you wouldn't want to use a car, a rideshare app called Spree. That's got a dark connotation. I mean, I guess, but I think uh, shopping, well, killer, killing spree or a shopping spree. Those are the only two kinds of sprees. Oh, the candy, the candy spree, that that colorful sugar candy. Right. Okay. But I mean, you don't go on a candy spree. You go on a shopping spree. I, oh, au contraire. <laughs> I could go on a candy spree. You go on a shopping spree or you go on a killing spree. Right. I don't know what, I, you don't go on a driving spree. It doesn't, it doesn't really work. I feel like they came up with it. It's, it's supposed to have dual meaning, but it only has one meaning. Right. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's a fun, stupid ride. You and I were talking about Joe Keery. I, I really, I, like, markedly different from his character in Stranger Things. And I really liked his performance. Because he's, like, kind of this uh, dead-eyed, like, not impulsive, not thinking things through. Like, he was pretty locked in as this character, really committed. It's a tough balance because he's got to be, the character that he's playing, Kurt Kunkel, is, is, a, is a dork. And the whole idea is, He's been trying and failing for years to build any kind of audience because he doesn't have anything to say, because he's boring, because he's sort of dumb. And, you know, so Joe Curie has to play that. Like, he has to believably be a guy who would get on camera and everybody would be like, turn this loser off. I don't care. But mm-hmm. we still have to kind of be a little charmed by him or we don't want to follow him on this journey. So yeah. He's got to kind of balance it out where he's got to make us 
care about this guy in some way, the viewer, while also believably being this guy that would not develop any kind of online following until he until the events of this movie transpire. So it's not easy to do and he does it and it's seamless. Like it's really effortless and you just buy him as this guy right away and don't even think about it. Yeah, he's really the guy driving the movie because it's, I mean, it's not Ah, a great- Literally, folks. Oh yeah, man, I walked into, I drove right into that pun. But- We're canceled, the show's canceled. Because it's not the most well-written film. Like his stuff, like everything he does, it's like not very well-motivated, like script-wise. Oh, I think it's it's motivated. It's just, it's not, the kills are not like, you kind of hope in a movie like this, if you really wanted to make it stand out, there would be like- elaborately clever kills or something like that to make it really memorable and stick out in the mind. And you're you're right. It's not, it doesn't develop in that way. It's really just kind of like, like you have to suspend, there's a lot of, I mean, oh, it's a movie. So yeah, you obviously have to suspend uh, your disbelief a little bit, but like I, I, it's hard for me to buy that he would snap and uh, to go on this killing spree. I don't know. I think Gary pulled that off for me. Like I believed this guy is a murderer. I just didn't. Oh, uh, I believed him, but I don't uh, like his commitment to it. But I'm like, there has to be something special in you. <laughs> and when I say special, I mean like dark and twisted that would allow this person to do this. And it's like they didn't show us like what boiled down to making so him. You're a hard the, man to please, monster. Rudnick. I, I am. Yes, I don't really, know. Maybe geez. I'm. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just looking for stuff to, to poke holes in. <laughs> all but right, all, also, I I couldn't believe like if people were watching this that like he didn't get caught sooner, you know. Well, then the movie like, ends. Yeah, then the movie ends. And it, <laughs> like one other issue, I think Sashir Zamata was delightful to watch. Like she's 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 playing a a stand up comedian who has a lot of followers who gets picked up by this guy and he tries to like learn from her. How to be better at social media. Yeah, huge social media presence and successful. Like, I enjoy watching her, but it it falls into that same trap where the comedian in the movie doesn't have anything funny to say. I thought that, I I did, I agree with you here, and I I always think this is weird. When a movie casts a real-life stand-up, because she was a mod as a stand-up, and has them play a stand-up, and then they don't have any funny material like this. We were talking about Twilight Zone. Kumail had this exact same thing on the Twilight Zone where it's just like, shouldn't something be funny about his stand up act? Why is it always like that? It's so rare to see a movie or a TV show about stand up where there's believable stand up comedy in it. Punchline, I think, is the ultimate example where it, it's like yeah, it's hard. Tom it's Hanks hard. is supposed to be a great comedian in Punchline. And literally every time they show him on stage, it's like the most painfully hacky, tired bullshit. And you're like, he's the worst stand-up in the world. I don't know why this movie's about But And then she has she does this one set, this one stand-up set, filmed at, I, I noted, I made the connection, in, at El Cid in Los Angeles. Yes, yes. Where I, I've done several comedy shows in my life. I, I saw The Moth there. They used to do The Moth. Oh, yeah. But she does this one set that was supposed to be like, oh, th- this is going to break her. It's this groundbreaking set. I'm like, that... This is what I mean. I, I agree with you. The movie is not speaking on an elevated level, making artful, thoughtful, deep points about social media and our addiction to it. it it's a it's a cult movie. It's a B movie about a guy who's killing people and 
trying to get online cloud out of it. On that level, I think it works really well. I agree. If you're trying to extract great lessons. Throw a couple of drinks back and and watch Steve from Stranger Things like fucking snap and uh, go cuckoo as uh, basically a Lyft driver. And I thought David Arquette was very good in the few scenes as like this, um, this, this dad who's uh, really, you know, trying to like fit in and be relevant. And we were talking about social media related films that it re- reminded you of. Uh, also, uh, like, in the way it uses screens and and the cameras in a fun way of like you know the phone screen and it's then, doing that thing where a lot of the movie you're watching through the cameras that the character is using to stream. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the uh, John Cho uh, film from a few years ago, Searching, uh, 2018, and then in talking about just movies about social media in general, I think one of the best ones bar none, is Ingrid Goes West. I, Ingrid Goes yes. West. With, well, Ingrid Goes West, and Ingrid Goes West is a, is a smarter movie about... Oh, yeah, no, that is... Influence and That's and a cloud. next level. Right. I, 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 I think that's a, that's a worthwhile differentiation to make. This is a B movie that's kind of having fun with those ideas. Ingrid Goes West is, is a more thoughtful and provocative sort of exploration of... Oh, and like Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza's character in that film. I mean, it's she, another like, dark believe- side of social media addiction sort of story. Yeah. So Spree on Hulu. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a fun trifle. I enjoy it. Good times. You know what else uh, you and I? Well, I don't want to speak for you, Lon. I like to curse. Are you are you a big? Uh, Listen, I'm I'm all right with it. I, I, I there was a time to play. I feel like sometimes we overuse we overuse it, which makes it less funny when fuck you when it's time for what you know. Like I, I think I, I'm not one of those people that thinks something's funny just because somebody said drops drops an f bomb in there. But a a well placed swear, hilarious, of course. Sure, or just I I also like when the person you least expect. Will swear like if uh, Sir Patrick Stewart like turns and says, "Oh fuck!" Right, that's what I mean. Like a care, a carefully thoughtful placed one is very fun. But we both checked out the new Netflix series, "The History of Swear Words," with hosted by the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Cage. And you know, I thought it was perfectly fine. It it, it, re- it reminded me a lot of like kind of the uh, a lot of the the 90s and 2000s talking head shows on VH1 where they yes. get a bunch it's of comedians together. It's very much like, I together. remember the 90s or whatever. Like, hey, remember... Yes, the week that was. Yeah, or, hey, remember yeah. the word shit? It's a little bit like that. Yeah, best week ever. Best shit but, ever, yeah. But my my favorite thing about it, the comedians are fine. Like, they're hit and miss. Like, you can, it's kind of like your standard, yeah, get a group of funny people that, together. Like, and, that is literally, they filmed it in the same way, where they got Nikki Glaser to come in and sit her in front of a green screen. And then they're obviously just throwing out, like, we need you to say something funny about how you can use the F word to mean anything yeah, you want. Jim Jeffries, Sarah Silverman. Yeah, London Hughes. But the thing I liked most were the academics they brought in that gave you some of the history uh, of the swear words. And that was fun. So it's a nice mix of academics and comedians. And then first episode talks about fuck. Second episode talks about shit. And I was s- delighted that 
for the shit episode, they brought in Mr. Isaiah Whitlock, who uh, you might remember him from the Five the Five Bloods that just the, came the out. The Wire, most of notably The Wire, where his uh, signature way of saying she—he's done it in work. It's in Twenty Fifth Hour. He's done it a. Few, he's done it in several films. Like this is a. It's a runner throughout like his entire career at this point. Is that his character always finds a way to say shit in this very colorful, extended way? Yes. So, it, it, you know, at, j- just you know, shy of getting Samuel L. Jackson to talk about motherfucker, which I was also kind of surprised they didn't do, to be honest. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe the budget did not allow because they already they got they got to pay that cage money. Yeah, I, I, kept, I was kind of waiting in that episode for him to <laughs> pop up. But th- th- very delightful as a big fan of Isaiah Whitlock and uh, and and his work. I gotta say, you know how I think we were talking about this when we talked about Ma Rainey. How you can tell a movie was based on a play because they kind of try to fool you. Like they've got that one scene in the beginning where all the all the actors are like walking into the room where they're going to spend the whole movie, and you're like, "We're outside. This can't be a play." Uh, and then they go inside for the the, the exact uh, entire remainder of the story. This kind of felt like that. Like, this is so obviously a thing that was put together when you couldn't put two people in a room. It's literally every single person who appears on camera this entire show is in their own room just talking to a camera. And then it was just, like, assembled by a crack team into, like, what resembles a show. And, like, I don't know. You didn't fool me. Like, I, I it really felt like that. They didn't bring any changes of clothes for the subsequent episodes either. It's like Nikki Glaser, okay, we're going to give you five swear words to talk and, about. And, and part of me, and I don't mean for this to sound like hoity-toy, like I'm, a, I'm an insider or whatever, but like it, it, the seams are showing to such an extent, like it's so obvious how this was made and, and that it was thrown together from whatever they could get on camera. Like I really felt like I could see my, like, I could see the emails from the producers pulling this together and like, how easily can we do this? Like, is there a way we could get some of the comedians on the same set with Cage? Like, no, it's too expensive. Just shoot them on their own. You know? <laughs> can we can we get Nika Glazer to send us this footage from her own room? Does she even have to come in? You could definitely see the seams. But Lon, I have to disagree with you on one thing. You say, um, oh, like, listen, I'm not an insider, but what's the name of your newsletter? Uh, it's called Inside Streaming. So in that way, <laughs> that's right, folks. I'm a hypocrite. No, I, I, I don't mean like I'm like Mr. Producer. Like I watch TV shows and I know how they were made. But no, neither of us were privy to what, what was happening. No, but here, like but... this one, I don't know. Like I don't, I, it, it just, it, it feels low energy in a weird way. Like even the Nicolas Cage bits, like he needs other actors and, and a character to like bring him to life. It, Feels like he's just reading a teleprompter, kind of. That's not looking. I, I His love Nicholas. beard. Does look well manicured, though. He's. I mean, obviously, he is well put together. Nicholas Cage not appear on camera otherwise. But I don't know. Like, like the opening of the of the fuck episode. He yes. does a bunch of dialogue, recognizable dialogue from movies where he uses the f word, and it's like that. If you just told me that, like, if you just explained to me, like, hey, you want to see Nicholas Cage? do a bunch of dialogue for movies, including the F word. I'd be like, yes, I want to see that. Let it go. That will go viral on YouTube. And then you see it. It's like, okay. He said, he said the snakes on a plane line. And and it doesn't feel like, like epic, like it should. It just, the whole show kind of felt to me like, like a, like a Buzzfeed video, like a thing you'd click on, on YouTube and you'd watch for a few minutes. You'd be like, all right, that's, that's where fuck comes from. I'm done. Like I, I just, I don't know. It, nothing about this really compelled me. Yeah, and 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 it, you know, and 
to be fair, I don't think it's trying to be much more than that. It's 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 a light entertainment. Each episode is what like twenty minutes long, literally twenty minutes, and so you could burn through this thing. And even but even at twenty minutes, it kind of feels like they don't really have that much. Like they don't really have that much to say. Like the like you know like half the f word episode is just about like. You know, you can use the F word to mean anything. And it's like, yes, everybody fucking knows that. That's the whole point. Like, eight-year-olds understand that you could put fuck in any sentence anywhere, and it's just emphasis. Yeah, I don't even see a TV show about this. You know what I learned? You know, I used to think shit only meant feces. But now I know if I say something is the shit, it's pretty good. It's good. Like, yeah, like, that's what I mean. Like, you don't need to cover that part. I know that part. <laughs> the part that, the, pick the interesting. If you're only going to be 20 minutes, just pick the really funny, interesting stuff. I don't know. I, 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 you know what this felt like? And I, this is going to sound really insulting. And, and listen, Mr. Cage, I love you. I love Nicolas Cage. But this feels like a Quibi show. That's what this is. This feels like a Quibi show that just unfortunately lasts two Quibbies instead of one. Give it to me in one <laughs> Quibi. I just want one Quibi. I don't want two Quibbies of this. I mean, maybe it was meant for Quibi and then Quibi tanked. So That's going to be season uh, two of the history else. of swear words. It's going to be the origin of Quibi. Where did you quit the Quibi? Oh, you know, Quibi might uh, end up becoming a swear word. I guess. No, it just means quick bites, but it could, it, it could take on a, a meaning over Did time. Did you ever see that thing that Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to call it omakase, and they had to talk him into switching over to Quibi? Yes, I, I, I no, I read that article. Not that Quibi's any better. At least omakase is a real word in some language. But like, imagine, like it's not even like it's it's like an obscure sushi. What is that? Term. Like a Japanese tasting menu or something? Yeah, omakase <laughs> is when you go to the sushi restaurant and you like tell the chef like you decide uh, you don't order. It's just the chef is going to prepare for you whatever sushi delights you want. And in L.A., maybe where sushi is a very popular cuisine, I guess most people probably know what omakase is, or at least some. But, like... You no, know, but we're saying that Quibi failed because Katzenberg didn't come down to his ivory, from his ivory tower to relate to the real people. The, real, the everyday folks who don't Get know about hands omakase. dirty. They want to watch a Quibi, not an omakase. Yeah, so this show, like, listen, if, if you misremember the 90s, this will scratch that itch. and Like, they don't try to disguise that they're just stealing that format at all. Yes, and also, here's a fun thing you could do. If, you, if you're around your parents or your grandparents, listeners, go ahead and put this show on real loud around them so then they can hear all those cuss words this raises an interesting question for me because i don't my, my grandparents are, are are gone now i don't i don't i don't really hang out with a lot of elderly are today's old people still offended by bad words i don't know because um, these the old people of today they were young in like the 80s and 90s like we're not we're not talking about people who grew up in the 40s anymore right like, well they're, they're they're cool right like they're fine yeah I, th- I think most are a little more desensitized to it i mean shit my dad he was a, like, he cursed a fucking blue streak growing up. That's what I mean. Like, my parents swear all the time. Like, they're not, they're not sensitive about it. And I, you know, like, I don't, we're not, maybe everybody's not like my My dad would swear in public. He'd raise his voice. Listen, Lon, can I lay back on the couch and talk to you about my dad? Yeah, let's talk about, okay. Binge Boys is over. Now this is going to be an hour-long exploration of Hal's uh, relationship with his father. Oh, God, he's so demanding. (laughs) He's just like, I just wanted him to be proud of me. Yes. (laughs) Lon, do you have a favorite swear word? 
I, 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 sorry to go all James Lipton. <laughs> what is your favorite swear word? You know what? I, I, I guess I don't really, like, I, I tend to, there, there are words that I end up getting, like, where I, I find that I'm using them all the time. But it's not usually, like, just conventional swear words. It'd be, like, ludicrous. Like, I got into a, a real thing where I noticed I was saying and calling things ludicrous all the time. And I had to, like, tone that down. But not, I mean, you know, like, I, I like a good, like, a, a good fucker, motherfucker thrown in. Mm-hmm. That'll that'll pepper a thing up. I, I probably use that more than any other. Those are great. I love motherfucker. I I like when you kind of put a combo together that's not n- normally used and like kind of create like a new kind of hybrid or can, like a oh you shitting bitch <laughs> or something yeah, like really, that. Sure, like yeah. like some, some new fun combos. Oh, one issue I had, Jim Jeffries was he had a fun uh, a little jag where he connected all these uses of fuck, but he mentioned uncle funk uh, uncle fucker and he did not attribute South Park. Yes, I that, that actually I I noticed that too, and I was like, maybe that's an Irish thing that was from before, because I think of Uncle Fucker as specifically that song from South Park. Yes, Terrence and Philip. <laughs> but I, maybe that was already an expression, and and Matt and Trey just just stole it. I agree. Like fuck, and then put another suffix at the end is always yeah. Like fuck stick or fuck nut or oh know. I oh oh I like that fuck stick I like yeah, that yeah so the history of swear words there's like I mean this is it if you're very entertained by this you will love this show otherwise like that's it like it's really the the exact riffing that's happening right here is the excitement of hearing a person say shit or cock it's like if it's that if that's a huge thing for you I've watched a, a couple episodes now they um, among the uh, words they do I. Uh, Bitch, pussy, a few others. Well, you love um, cops, so that makes sense. There we go. History of Swear Words on Netflix. Lon, we've talked about several shows, and I think now is the time for us to say goodbye. It is. Sorry, everybody. Hoot hoot to all the owls out there. I want to thank everybody for listening. And what is Owl Nation? It's whatever the hell you want it to be. It's nothing. It's a big load of nothing, folks. Yes. There are no owls listening to this podcast, right? Do owls even have ears? Can owls listen to a podcast? I don't even know. I mean, oh, I mean, they're they're nocturnal creatures. They, 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 their sonar is... Oh, I guess you're right. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks to the folks at Starburns. Thank you to our super producer, Adam Macias. Thank you to Jason Kay for rocking us out with our theme song. Lon, where can they find you? Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's where to find me until I get... Shut down for suggesting that everybody go riot on my behalf. At least for now, follow me on Twitter. You can also subscribe to Hal Mentioned, my newsletter, Inside Streaming. It's got all the reviews, all the news, everything you want to know about streaming services and what's new on them. It's free uh, to sign up. Just go to inside.com slash streaming. Yes, Lon has the, his finger on the pulse of swear words and streaming. You can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'll keep you updated on all the stupid shit I'm doing. And um, I'll be throwing uh, lots of funnies and weird stuff out there as well. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll attempt to make a meme and put it up on my Instagram. Wow, bold. And, and, and then you can um, either click like or scroll through. Or unsubscribe, I don't know. Also, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Go to iTunes. Give us a big, fat five-star rating. I'm begging you. (laughs) (laughs) Literally begging. Yes. Fun talking to you. We'll uh, talk to you next time. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. 